Welcome to Ebenezer Baptist Church on July 27, 2014, 10.30 a.m. Today's message is Choosing God by Pastor Isaac Whitening based on the scripture reading, Psalm 16. He has almost nothing. He has no prospects for his future in this world. He spends his days building really nice houses and goes back to his shack every night with no hope of something better. And yet he says he is at peace and happy because he lives with God and he knows that God is with him. Do you have a faith like that? Do you have a relationship with God like that? That no matter what he took away from you, You would be happy simply with him. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we come to your word again. We ask that it would live in us. God, please bring this word alive by the power of your Holy Spirit. We have no ability in ourselves, but we look to you and trust that you are here with us. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're in a series on the Psalms for the summer, and we just did Psalm 23 last week. A number of you came up to me last week and offered uh, lots of stories about your own experience with Psalm 23 and how powerful that Psalm had been in many people's lives. Uh, I said at the beginning of last week, that the proper thing to do with a psalm, the proper thing to do with a psalm is to eat it, is to consume it, not just to read it or understand what it means, but actually take it into your being and into your life to the point where it is part of you. And that if we do that, the psalms have incredible power. But if we don't do that, it's almost just like a, a stream of words on the page that don't really do a whole lot for us. Obviously, many of you have taken in Psalm 23 to a significant degree, and praise God for that. I'm afraid that maybe this week we won't get as much out of the psalm, because probably not as many of you know Psalm 16. But this is a psalm that I have uh, done a lot of work to bring into myself over the past year, year and a half. And I'd like to just share with you today what the psalm means, and what God has done in me through it. i got a number of stories, and, and this, is, this is a fantastic psalm. It's also by David. Uh, this psalm is a vision, as many of the psalms are, a vision of a different world, a vision of a different kind of life that you could be in, that you could live in. And as we go through it, you'll see that the main point uh, the main, uh, the most, the thing that stands out the most from what David says in this psalm is that he has thrown himself entirely on God. He has chosen God above everything else, even to the point of rejecting some things, but certainly to the point of looking to nothing else before God. And the psalm records what happens in his life as he does that. 
and it records what will happen in our lives if we do it also. Do you have a desire? Have you seen enough of God in your life that you desire deeply to abandon your hope in anything else and trust completely in him? Do you have that desire today? If you do not, it's my prayer that uh, God will use this message and this psalm and this morning's worship to put that desire into your heart. I'm going to have the text of the psalm up on the screen as we go through, and there's going to be three main points that I bring out of this psalm. I'm going to have the text of the psalm up because I am using a different text than what you have in your pew Bibles. I'm actually going to use the contemporary English version this morning, which I like a lot, and so you can read along with it on the screen. Uh, You can also read the NIV if you'd like. Um, It's not terribly different. But let's go through this psalm piece by piece. And to start out, I'd like to say that the first point that David makes in this psalm, or the first thing that he shows us about his life in Christ, is that he has refused all other help but God. He has chosen to live a life where he has no other help but God. Let me read the first verses for you again. Verses 1 and 2. Protect me, Lord God. I run to you for safety. And I have said, only you are my God. Only you are my Lord. Every good thing I have is a gift from you. Every good thing I have is a gift from you. A couple of things about this. David has cast himself onto God. But at the same time, he is recognizing, he is only recognizing what is actually true already about the world. That we have no safety, no true safety except for God. That only God is the Lord, the one who rules the world, nothing else. And that everything that you have, everything good, is only a gift from God. This is already what's true about the world that we live in. It's already what's true about this life. But David has chosen to make this his perspective. He is saying, no, I will not look at the world in any other way than this. This is the way it really is. We can see that the context of this psalm must be some some difficulty that David's in, right? He begins by saying that, "God, God, protect me. Something must be coming at him to trouble him. We don't know what it is, and that's good that we don't know what it is. Something is coming at David, attacking him, and his first instinct is to run to God for help. He refuses other help. Now, let me ask you, is that your first instinct in your life? When you have a problem, a problem that's more difficult than just my kitchen floor is dirty, so I need to grab a broom and sweep it, a problem that you can't immediately fix by your own God-given powers, is your first reaction to run to God for help. 
If it is not, you will not enter very deeply into the life of Christ. I had a moment recently uh, that made me very, very happy with a couple of girls in our youth group. They're not here today. And these two girls, they have been, we've been going through all year in our youth group focusing on prayers and watching to see if God answered our prayers and then telling each other in what ways God had answered our prayers. And many people's faith grew deeply because of that. And these two girls had a problem. They had a problem that wasn't, it wasn't a terrible problem, but it was a relational problem with someone else and they couldn't fix it immediately on their own. And so they came to me and they spewed out all the details of this problem. And as they did, and they got to the end, I realized that they didn't expect me to give them any advice. They got to the end of their problem, and they just stared at me and waited. And they didn't expect me to give any advice, because they knew what I would say, and that's why they came. And so I said, what's the first thing we do when we have a problem? That's the same thing I say to my kids. What's the first thing we do when we have a problem? And they both said, pray, let's pray. And so the three of us prayed immediately. And what made me so happy is that it had gone deeply enough in them that it was their first reaction to run to God for help because he is the only one who is really our help, who is really our safety. Every good thing we have is a gift from God. That means that none of the things that we have are things that we have earned or deserve. None of them. Not your job, not your money, not your family. These things are given to us by God as a free gift. Even though we have done things and participated in earning the money that we have, it is from God. It could easily be the case that we work as hard as we possibly can and no results come. It is by his mercy. And so he really is our only true help. When we run to something else before we run to God, it is only his mercy that saves us. Even though often we believe it's been our own actions or something else in this world that has saved us, it is really God. The next verses show us a little bit more of David's temptation. So we read down in verses 3 and 4. David says this, Your people are wonderful, and they make me happy. But worshipers of other gods will have much sorrow. So I refuse to offer sacrifices of blood to those gods or worship in their name. I think what's happening here in the psalm is that David is tempted he is tempted because there is some problem he has, some distress or disaster in his life, and he is tempted to turn to something else. Maybe in his context he's tempted to turn to an actual idol. I don't know. Maybe that's what the people around him are turning to. Or maybe he's tempted just to turn to his own strength or to uh, making plans before he seeks God or to money, or soldiers, or some kind of worldly power before he seeks God. In these verses, he is saying, no, I refuse to do that because that is actually idolatry. 
That is worship of something other than God. When I turn to it before I turn to God. And so I will not offer my energy, my sacrifice of blood to those gods. I mentioned in here a number of times uh, George Mueller of Bristol was a very strong man of faith, uh, did some amazing things only by prayer, or almost only by prayer. Uh, and in this book, he has a number of lists, and one of them is a list of things that will help you grow in your faith. People had asked him many times, George, you have this incredible faith. It seems like you believe God for anything. How did you get there? And so he made a little list and told people, uh, told, uh, tell us today, some of the things that would help. And this is number four on his list. And I want to read it to you. George Mueller says, The last important point for the strengthening of our faith is that we let God work for us and do not work a deliverance of our own. We let God work for us and not work a deliverance of our own. When a trial of faith comes, we are naturally inclined to distrust God and to trust in ourselves, in our friends, or in circumstances. We would rather work a deliverance of our own than simply look to God and wait for his help. But if we do not patiently wait for God's help, or if we work a deliverance of our own, then at the next trial of our faith, we will have the same problem. We will again be inclined to try to deliver ourselves. With every fresh trial, our faith will decrease. On the contrary, if we stand firm in order to see the salvation of God, trusting in him alone, our faith will be increased. I am not suggesting, and George Mueller is not suggesting, that we never do anything. Things that God has put in our power or things that he leads us to do, we certainly should do. But if we want our faith to grow, we, like David, like George Mueller, must look first to God and wait for his help and direction, not try to save ourselves whenever we have a problem. This is very important. The next point that I want to bring out of this psalm is that David, in the following verses, shows us that God himself is the treasure. God himself is what David is seeking. Not anything else, not even his gifts or his protection or his deliverance from whatever the trial is. David is seeking after God himself because he has seen that God himself is what will make his life the very best. Just like we saw in this video of P. Chui, it is his relationship with God himself, not the things that God has given, that make him at peace and happy and free from worry. In verse 5 we read, You, Lord, are all I want. You are my choice, and you keep me safe. You make my life pleasant, and my future is bright. A man in our congregation came to me recently, 
God had done a whole bunch of really great things in his life. God had answered a lot of his prayers, and he, had a lot of, he has a lot of really good things coming up that he's excited to do. But he said to me, I want prayer. God has answered the prayers that we've been praying, but I want prayer now that as I do all of these really exciting things, I won't get too caught up in them and forget to seek God. I won't get too caught up in what God has given me and forget God himself, because then I know I'll just fall right back to where I was before. It is only in God himself that we have safety and lasting peace. We must enjoy the things that God has given us, but never the thing itself apart from God. We must remember in everything that God is the one who has given it and allow the things that he gives us to increase our love for him, not our love for the things that he's given. David demonstrates this powerfully in the psalm. Third, and this is where the psalm gets, I think, a little bit hard to believe for some of us. The third point that I want to draw out of the psalm is that David has set his mind continually on God. David has set his mind continually on God. God is constantly before his mind and with him. Let me read the next verses, which for me have been by far the most powerful from this psalm. Verse 7, I praise you, Lord, for being my guide. Even in the darkest night, your teachings fill my mind. I will always look to you as you stand beside me and protect me from fear. Verse 8, I want to read for you from the NIV also, because this one verse, I actually think the NIV gets it a lot better. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. We see in this part of the psalm, one of the many places in the Bible where uh, someone describes their life or encourages us to keep God before our mind and in our thoughts all the time. Can that really happen? Is that really possible to keep God in front of you, in your mind, to live in his presence all of the time? And I want to say it is possible. It is a habit of mind and something that you can train and form, and something that God will help you to do. And if you do it, the results in your life will be fantastic. The more you are able to focus yourself on God, keep him as part of your experience, no matter what is happening, keep him before your mind, the more you will be filled with joy and peace, and the more the power of God will be released in your life. We see that happening with David here. Other places in the Bible, to back this idea up in case you think it's a little crazy, this is the same thing that Paul says over and over again. In Romans chapter 8, Paul tells us to set the mind on the flesh is death. You guys know this verse? But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Again, in Colossians chapter 3 and Philippians chapter 4, Paul tells us, 
over and over again that we must constantly think about the right things. We must constantly think about God and recognize that he is with us. Another quote I want to bring to you today is from a book called Practicing the Presence of God. How many of you are familiar with this book, Brother Lawrence? This is a fantastic book. I highly recommend it. Brother Lawrence was a monk a while ago, hundreds of years ago, in Europe. And he did not exactly write this book. It's a series of letters that he never intended to have published. But in this book, the whole focus is on the fact that he claimed he had lived for over 30 years with God constantly before his mind. What he calls the presence of God, practicing the presence of God, turning his mind again and again to the fact that God is with him and to the truths of the Bible, no matter what he was doing. And I just want to read from, for you one section uh, from one of his letters. He says this, and again, the practice of the presence of God means focusing his mind on God. He says, if I were a preacher, and he wasn't a preacher, he was a cook in a kitchen. He says, if I were a preacher, I would above all other things preach the practice of the presence of God. Were I a spiritual director, I would advise all the world to do it. So necessary do I think it is, and so easy too. If we knew how much we miss out on the grace and help of God, we would never lose sight of him, no, not for a moment. Believe me, immediately make a holy and firm resolution never more to forget him. Resolve to spend the rest of your days in his sacred presence, deprived of all other help for the love of him. Brother Lawrence was an amazing person kept his mind constantly before God, and so did Paul, and so did David, and so can we. We see in the psalm, constantly, the mind of David turned to God. As I began to consume this psalm about a year and a half ago, and had focused on it really every day for quite a long time, was taking it into myself, I had a very distinct experience one day. This was actually at May camp. This is the youth camp that we have every May, May long weekend. And I have spoken in, youth, in front of youth, in front of large groups and small groups. I've spoken at this church many, many times. And sometimes I'm nervous and sometimes I'm not. But at this camp, I got up to speak in front of the youth who were there and the leaders. And for a number of reasons that I won't go into, I almost started to panic. I could feel it rising in me for no good reason at all. And then this verse came to me that I had been taking into myself. I set the Lord always before me. Because I, he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. And at that moment, even though no one who was there could see anything, I had one of the more distinct experiences of my life in Christ. I felt, it felt like someone was holding my hand. And all of a sudden, peace flooded my entire body from, from head to toe. I went from a feeling like, wow, I might run off of this stage and that'll be really embarrassing, to a feeling of, I'm at home in my living room with my wife. 
was a fantastic moment and part of the blessing that we can receive as we focus our minds on God. Finally, what are the results of this kind of life? We've said that David here demonstrates that he has abandoned all other help but God. He has actively abandoned it, throwing it away. He has made only God his treasure. He's not seeking the gifts of God. He is seeking God himself. And he has set God constantly before his mind so that there is nothing else that he is focused on. He is keeping God with him all the time. What are the results of this kind of a life? If only I could do it perfectly. If only we could do it perfectly. Look at the result. Starting in verse 9. With all my heart, I celebrate. And I can safely rest. I am your chosen one. You won't leave me in the grave or let my body decay. You have shown me the path to life. And you make me glad. You make me happy by being near to me. Remember, just like in Psalm 23 we saw last week, this is at a moment when David is pressed. His enemies are around him. He has all kinds of trouble and he doesn't see a way to solve it. And this is how he feels. His whole being is rejoicing. He is flooded with peace. He is praising God for showing him the way that he should go. And he is happy simply because God is near him. The joy that David has in this moment has nothing to do with his external circumstances. Has nothing to do with what's going on in his life. Do you want to reach that place in your life? Where no matter what happens to you, no matter what happens around you, you are safe and whole and at peace with God? inside? That is, I think, the deepest desire of my life, and I hope that it is the deepest desire of yours. This is the path of Jesus. This is the kingdom of God. Do not hold on to the systems and plans and hopes and things that the world looks to for help. Abandon them and look only to God. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for the demonstration of this new kind of life that we can live. I pray that we would enter it today. I pray that we would enter it this next week during Youth Week and VBS. God, I pray that we would resolve never to leave, never to allow you to go out of our minds, never to run to something else for help before we run to you. God, show us the way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.